Uh, but to promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now at Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming, and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 62318. This podcast contains explicit material that may not be suitable for all listeners. For those of you brave enough to stick around, enjoy the show. Welcome to the We Still Booze Podcast, brought to you by WideRightNattyLight.com, your one-stop Iowa State online blog shop. Throw me the bootleg and I'm gone. So let's take a few steps and I keep left and the people take a deep breath and I'm up in your end zone. 816 boys, we reppin' connected with Iowa State. Welcome Cyclone fans, another edition of the Wide Right Natty Light Podcast. This is Austin with you again tonight. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, stuffed your face with turkey, stuffing, pumpkin pie, whatever it is. Uh, I got a chance to be with some family and friends. Uh, we saw Iowa State play three basketball games over the weekend and, and their final football game. That's kind of what we're going to be recapping here today. In just a little bit, I'm going to bring in a special guest tonight, uh, Dylan Mont uh, from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Uh, before I do that, though, I just want to remind you, go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Um, you can also leave if you're if you're reading or or listening via the blog. Go ahead and re- read us a review in the comments. Uh, that works as well. So at this point, I'm going to bring in Dylan. Uh, he's from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. He's on the football and basketball beat. He also co-authored uh, the book "100 Things IC Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die." Dylan, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing really good, Austin. It's good to be with you. And- like we said before, uh, I, we jumped on the air here. Uh, things are slowing down a little bit now for everybody. Now people are kind of turning their attention to basketball. But looking forward to wrapping up football and, and diving into it with you. Now, are you ever ever considered uh, done for a season with the, with the football beat or with the recruiting world and things like that? Is it, is it still just kind of you, you'll have a little bit of football every week, so even with the basketball beat? It's usually after the season, there's those couple weeks where there's some recruiting stuff, obviously, and some things leading up to signing day. But then you also have to look at some of the attrition pieces of it and just kind of the silly season aspect of it with all these coaches shifting and going to different jobs. Sometimes assistants leave. Sometimes kids are looking to go to different programs. So there's some of that every once in a while. But uh, it can be mostly basketball, which is a good thing. I like covering the basketball team, obviously. But um you know, it, it does slow down quite a bit uh, for football, but there will be some things that pop up here and there. You mentioned you cover the basketball beat as well. I know Cyclone fans are pretty excited for the basketball season, uh, especially after another kind of lousy football season. Uh, we're going to attempt a little bit tonight to put uh, some, some lipstick on the on the pig, if you will, to recap the 2016 Cyclone football season. So, we did have a new coach, year one under Matt Campbell. Dylan, how do we determine whether this season was truly a success for, for Iowa State? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And 
Uh, Matt Campbell has talked about all year long. Uh, you don't want moral victories. You don't play for moral victories, nothing like that. But that being said, I've said this on other programs too. I think you do have to grade on a curve a little bit and kind of look at what the scope of the state of the football team was. Uh, when Paul Rhodes left, he said, you know, this, I can see this team bowling next year. This team will be bowling. And I don't know exactly where, where the comments came from. Maybe it was just optimism, hopefulness for his guys. Uh, maybe part of it was to put a little bit of pressure on the next guy just to kind of say, you know, I should have been the guy coming back. But whatever the case was, uh, maybe some fans had their, their hopes for a bowl game just to kind of turn the quarter and put the last three years of, of misery, I guess, behind them. But obviously it didn't happen. But I think what maybe you saw this year as opposed to the last few years of Paul Rhodes is – Paul played some close games with some of those teams there. But I really think the competitiveness level of what Iowa State did this year compared to the previous years was, you know, not even close. Uh, you almost – you should have beaten Baylor, should have, could have, whatever, beaten Oklahoma State – um, you know, you play the UNI game this time in the year. I think you win that. So there's a lot of reasons, I think, for optimism. Um, you know, obviously people would have liked a few more wins and could have had a few more wins. But I think a lot of good things did happen, but still a lot of areas to get better in. Do you think that was fair for Paul Rhodes to come out and say that? I remember that comment uh, vividly uh, when he said that. It kind of – got the attention of a lot of fans saying whoa we're going we're going bowling next year he says uh do you think that was fair for matt campbell and iowa state fans for paul rhodes to kind of say that on his way out of town yeah it, that was a tough comment uh like i said i think i understand maybe where he was coming from saying the talent here and there certainly is talent on the team but um i think maybe paul was naive to or didn't really address fully the the you know, areas of concern, which were the offensive and defensive lines all year. And as, as tried or boring as it sounds, those kind of, those are key to win football games. So I think it was probably a little bit unfair and got people's, some people's expectations or hopes up. But I think Matt Campbell through the winter when he first got here, through the spring, summer, um, you know, he really kind of tried to temper that a little bit and saying, uh, you know, we're just still trying to get to learn one another and learn each other's tendencies how to work together and everything like that. So he tried to pump the brakes a little bit. And obviously, as as you saw the first few games, uh, it is a growing process. No matter if there's talent there, if the coaches are good at what they do, there's there's still some time for guys to have to find that rhythm with each other. And, uh, you know, probably not fair to Paul to say that just because so much was going to change. But I think, um, you know, Matt Campbell handled it the right way and, and what he said all off season and at least the beginning of the season too. So to get back to the 2016 season, you mentioned that we're we're grading it on a curve. So if we're grading it on a curve, what what type of grade would you give Matt Campbell and the Iowa State Cyclones uh, for year one, and, and would you consider it a a success as or as successful as maybe a three nine season could be? Yeah, I'd probably say as three as successful as a three nine season could be. I'd probably say. Uh, you know, they did some good things, like I said, some things that were obviously concerning, like losing the leads early in the year. So I'd say it's about average, B minus, C plus, somewhere in there. Um, just because I think, uh, you know, I don't know what people's expectations were of individual guys or individual groups, but kind of um, kind of spinning off that a little bit. I, I really think um, the offensive line, I thought, did make a lot of improvements. 
throughout the year, and that was just the first couple games, first few games. I wonder if people thought, man, it's, uh, you know, is Iowa State going to win a game uh, with this group? But I think really once Brian Shetta got in there at tackle, um, you know, and they still get, and they got some of those uh, consistent starters and started the same five guys for the last, I think it was probably eight or nine games, something like that. They really got into a rhythm, and those that group still had their struggles throughout the year. But I think them performing better kind of lifted maybe um, what the rest of the team could do just because it opened some things up. But I thought overall, um, you know, coaching got better with with the year two, and I think that was just kind of what I was saying a little bit ago about the familiarity and just recognizing, um, you know, what you have and what your players can do. So uh, good – I don't know if you can even say good, but just uh, probably a, a nice start and uh, for Pat Campbell just because there is a lot of room to grow and, um, you know, the coverage obviously not there. Uh, they have a lot of guys coming back and um, a lot of room to grow, like I said. Campbell continually mentions culture change, mainly uh, attitude and effort. You hear that in the, in the process. Process is kind of a key word that lights up at every press conference and interview and things like that. Being around at the press conferences, uh, talking to coaches and players, what what kinds of culture changes or are there any things that you see from players and coaches that's different from the Rhodes era that kind of is promising as to these changes that are supposedly occurring yeah one of the kind of funny little things that's just kind of surface level is in the media room in the press room where we do those monday press conferences uh in the road there on the back wall behind the backdrop of of what uh what he would stand in front of if it's that black um curtain or whatever it is behind that used to be a mural and it was full of iowa state versus oklahoma state in 2011 images just um, you know, Leonard Johnson holding up a football after he intercepted it, just different images and things like that. But when we got back in the spring and started covering spring football, Matt Campbell had um, t- had taken all the murals down and replaced the replaced the images with a just a solid red wall and then a pyramid of different uh, talking points and like a pyramid to success kind of thing. So it's really kind of um, built foundationally where it's not – it doesn't – I mean, there's obviously emotion with – with what he's trying to build, but it felt like it was built more in foundational pieces and, you know, point A to point B to point C, this is how we're going to do things as not as much as, um, you know, maybe what the emotional side of Rhodes was. So I think that's one thing. And then, um, like you said, he talks about the process a lot and, um, you know, getting, getting to do things the right way on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Thursdays, whatever the case is. And I think you kind of saw that when you talked to some of the players, Jacob Park said, when he first got to Iowa State, he would kind of just go up by himself and, and watch film on his own. And later in the year, as as he kind of got into more of that starting role and he was more high usage, he would still go in and watch film, but he'd go in with coaches. And I think he really kind of uh, felt that relationship between not just Jacob Park and the coaches, but all the players and the coaches. They'd go and have more of that open rapport, um, you know, to try to figure out some of those things. And I think that kind of culminated with the Texas Tech game and, um you know, so it was kind of interesting to see how those guys would, would talk about that and, and what they were able to do as the year kind of went on and they got more comfortable with each other. Because you kind of hit on offense here. Let's let's take a minute to look at, at the offense. Uh, Jacob Park is one guy that you mentioned for sure, and they did make improvement over the year. 
if you think about that UNI game and then especially only scoring, I think, three points against the Iowa Hawkeyes in, in Iowa City all the way to that 66-point outburst against Texas Tech, who would you consider the offensive MVP for, for Iowa State this year? Yeah, there's there's different names that pop up, um, you know, like a Jacob Parker. Dave Montgomery obviously really came on strong, and Joel Lanning had his moments too, but I think you have to go with Alan Lazard. Um, you know, just especially at the end of the season, his level of consistency, he would still have drop passes every once in a while. Guys are going to drop balls, but just really what he was able to do um, – throughout the year mostly, and he was kind of injured during the middle of the year too, but to end up with over a 1,000 yards receiving, he's only the fourth player in Iowa State history to do that. He averaged 84 um, yards per game receiving, and he's going to own virtually every receiving record at Iowa State, and the only one that's going to be maybe be iffy is uh, the touchdowns. He needs 15 touchdowns, I think, to either pass or tie Todd Blythe in that category, so it's going to be interesting to see um, and if we're going to be on the topic of Alan Lazard, I do think he comes back for a senior season. Um, you know, just in, he's not really been super forthcoming when talking to the media a couple of times about it, but I really kind of get the sense that he's going to lean that way and come back. I, I think he um, turning around the program and seeing a bowl game is important to him being a lifelong Iowa State fan. So I think um, that's going to be something that's on his mind, but, I think as far as an offensive MVP, you have to go with him just because of um, he's almost like a unicorn. His his um, you know his uh, mixture of size and skill and athleticism is is pretty rare, especially at a place like Iowa State. As a as a beat reporter, how do you how do you balance whether or not to ask a, a student athlete about going to the NFL, transferring and things like that, either during media availability during the week or immediately after after a game and things like that? Are there, is, there a, is there a golden rule that you, you follow or is it kind of a gray area that you've got to pick and choose your moments to ask those types of questions? You, you certainly have to think about the moment and the setting. Um, like I know Alan Lazard was kind of asked about it after the West Virginia game just – that seemed like an appropriate time. He was asked about it before, too, just as as the season was kind of winding down. But I think after games is probably appropriate times to ask that, just to kind of get it out there, get it on record. Um, but there is a gray area. And, um, you know, there's kind of, you know, points where Mike Warren was asked about transferring or Joel Lanning was asked about transferring. And I know that kind of created a little bit of a storm of people. But I think a lot of the times it is because, um, you know, reporters talk to different people. They hear different things, and um, you know they they see it fit to to go ask you know the source directly, um, the the subject directly, and that is Mike Warren or, or Joel Lanning and, and those kinds of things. But there is a little bit of a gray area. You got to kind of it's almost like reading the moments or reading the situation, uh, feeling it. So um, you know sometimes it'll seem more appropriate than others. I think the Lazard thing after the game was fine. Uh, you know, but um, certainly have to read the situation before um, when you go into it, I guess. Mike Warren is probably one of the most perplexing issues on, on the football team this, this season. What what happened with him this season? Was it, was it an injury? Was that a cover-up, do you think? What was really going on with, with Mike Warren, and why wasn't he able to produce at maybe the level that we all expected him to this season, and, and he showed he was capable of last season. 
Yeah, it's it's really kind of interesting. I'm I'm still trying to figure the Mike Warren stuff out too. But uh, you know, the outside noise outside of uh, you know the football walls was really loud. Um, you know, his his family has been active on social media. Uh, you know, tweeting at coaches or, or tweeting about situations or or saying he's not happy. He should be getting more carries and things like that. I think that really kind of um, you know, starts to creep into his mind a little bit too and maybe make him think some things. But um, I, I will say I really do like Mike Warren. I've always had really good interactions with him, and he seems like a really good kid. And I think maybe he was kind of the, the I don't want to say victim, victims may not be the right word, but, um, you know, the situation of last year as a redshirt freshman, he was able to get, you know, essentially, excuse me, all the carries, uh, 1,300 yards rushing and, he was really kind of the lone guy. Now you come into this year and Joel Lanning's there. He's able to, you know, utilize what he can do on the ground. And you have David Montgomery, who's obviously a really capable back. And you have Mike Warren too. And even Kanae Wongu sometimes, Mitch Harder. There's just so many more options that the coaching staff this season was, was willing to go with. And that takes away from, you know, some of the yardage and carries Mike would get. And, you know, that's, that's not knocking on him or, or anything like that from the coach's perspective. But, um, you know, the coaches had to try to find different ways to, to kickstart the running game, especially with how many different holes or deficiencies the offensive line had, especially early. So, um, and then another thing, Mike was banged up uh, at some points throughout the year, and he had that sprained ankle. Uh, I think it was the Kansas State game, didn't play the whole game, and really kind of had that nagging, especially at the end of the year. So that, there's a lot of different factors in it. It is kind of a – uh, you know, a weird situation just to see a guy that was so successful in the year before really kind of drop off. But I think, um, you know, there being a crowded backfield, uh, the outside chatter, things like that, it just all kind of plays into it at, at varying um, degrees and percentages. In that backfield is the was the incumbent starter, Joe Lanning, who – uh, kind of became the backup quarterback and run specialist, if you will, towards the end of the season. A popular opinion among the Cyclone fans, uh, casual viewers as they're watching, saying, well, if, he, if he's not going to get snaps at quarterback, he's he's so athletic, is there any way that we could get him either at, at linebacker, tight end, some other way to get him involved in the team because he's such a good leader? Do you see him switching positions in the off season, or is his role going to kind of be cemented into that uh, – belldozer type uh, role, if you will, that Oklahoma used with Blake Bell a couple of years ago? Yeah, I, I don't know if I envision him as much playing defense. I think he's pretty well set in the offense just because, um, you know, at this point, I guess guys move around late in their career, but to be a redshirt senior and then just starting on defense, I don't know if the coaches really think that's his best position. Matt Campbell's talked about they really, really like him running the ball. And, um, you know, you talk to Joel at different points in the year and he's, you know, obviously not in two. He wants to be the guy. He wants to be the runner and passer at quarterback. But uh, all all signs point to Jacob Park is here to stay, and he's going to be the guy moving forward. So I think Joel Lanning, um, you know, he will accept whatever role he's given. I think he'll be a runner, kind of an H-back type of guy. I think you could see him at tight end. I think it's a really good point. Uh, um, you know, I'm not sure what his hands are like necessarily, but uh, he's a big guy, so he could be a block or some. I think he could spring out to catch passes. But I think because he does have an arm and we've seen his arm strength, I think he's a really interesting piece for the offense because he can do so many different things. And I think that's why 
especially at the end of the year, um, that two quarterbacks, this, excuse me, um, really did seem to work because, uh, you know, Jacob Park would come in uh, between the 20s and, and Joel would sometimes come in inside the 20s and try to finish stuff off. And he really seems to set the defenses off balance. And, um, you know, he's kind of a nice compliment to Jacob Park, who's kind of a sit back in the pocket type of guy. But I think there's a lot of different ways Joel could be used, but just more on offense, I think, than any defensive looks he might get. Flipping sides of the ball here, the the defense was kind of had a roller coaster type of year. There there was games in which they looked pretty locked in. There's games where they looked like the Cyclones of the last couple of years on the defensive side. Uh, but then when once you get to the Texas Tech game, they allowed them uh, to only score ten points, and they were one of the nation's top offenses coming into the game. Who would be your uh, defensive MVP as you look back on the 2016 season? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple guys maybe you could go with, but I think the one who stands out to me is just Kamari Cotton-Moya. His, his play, you know, the whole time he's been here, he's dealt with some health things, but the whole time he's been here, he's been a really consistent guy, and I think he's just a really intelligent football player, really knows uh, what he's doing out there. He had 73 tackles this year. He had two picks, and the one was at uh, pick six against Texas Tech, but He's really been a model of consistency, and guys really talk about him being the anchor of that defense, even though he's a little bit farther back than a linebacker, which is usually considered the anchor um, to really kind of pull the defense together. Kamari Kadmoy has been that guy for Iowa State the last couple of years for sure, and I think it continued this year. He's a captain as well, so I think guys on the team really respect him, and, um, you know, he's, like I said, just been a, a really solid, steady guy for him, and um, you know, not only a good locker room guy, but but can produce. So I think, um, you know, that's, uh, like I said, there's maybe a couple guys he could go with, but I think he probably stands out a little taller than them. On the interior of that defensive line uh, was Devon Tucker and Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas moved in from the outside. How much is the defense going to miss those two guys kind of clogging up the middle, and how instrumental were they in kind of improving the defense as the year went along? Yeah, I think, um, you know, once Justin Thomas did move inside, the coaching staff really did kind of seem to find their answer. He was maybe a little bit stiff outside a defensive end, but once you move him inside, he's a big body, can absorb a lot of guys, a lot of the offensive line, and um, you know, really kind of uh, create some pushback and get in the backfield a little bit, get some hurries. So I think DeMond Tucker, um, he had some ups and downs, but he's talked to the coaches, um, you know, throughout the year. They really did like the kind of presence he was giving, and he was better suited for that four-man front that they ran most of the time this year as opposed to the 3-4 in the last year of Paul Rhodes era where he got double-teamed so much. So I think you really did kind of see a maturation with DeMond Tucker and a little bit more effectiveness and like I said, same goes for Justin Thomas, and they will miss those guys. But uh, Iowa State is, uh, you know, busy on the JUCO recruiting trails, trying to get a couple guys uh, to fit in there. And they do have two guys committed right now, uh, JUCOs that I think could come in and start in the defensive line uh, next year. So uh, holding on to those guys is until signing day, at least, is is going to be important, just because um, you know you know what you were getting with Demon Tucker and Justin Thomas and. Um, you know, not taking a step back is going to be the priority for that group, certainly. Under Wally Burnham, they kind of played the, tried to play anyway, the bend but don't break type of defense, keeps the ball in front of you. Uh, and a lot of fans maybe became frustrated. They're giving up those 10-yard out routes. 
uh, on a routine basis. John Heacock comes in. Uh, he kind of varied the amount of pressure that he would bring game to game. As a as an observer, what were your opinions on uh, kind of Heacock's philosophies and game plans uh, throughout the season? Did you see improvement there uh, being at his, his first year in a BCS-level conference? Yeah, I think you did see improvements uh, throughout the year. Guys, kind of, you talk to him at the end of the year, especially after the Texas Tech game, it seemed like guys were starting to, you know, understand more of, of what his expectations were. And he, he's self-admittedly a guy that's hard to please and, and has high standards. But he even said, um, you know, it would be foolish to deny that that group didn't make, um, you know, progress this year. They they think they certainly did. And it, it showed up in that Texas Tech game, especially when you consider all of Texas Tech's offensive stats. But I think um, – you know, their ability to be multiple and you'll hear Matt Campbell or any of the assistants talk about the ability to be multiple all the time. But I really think you did see that with the defense. They were, um, you know, at times that bend and don't break, I used to tell with Wally Burnham's defenses, but I thought they brought a lot more pressure than Wally's defenses ever did. They were, um, you know, rushing five guys, four, um, you know, six guys, four guys, whatever it was, they were, they were bringing a lot more pressure and did some corner blitzes, which I thought were interesting. Um, you know, you saw that at times with Wally, but not as on, not as much on a consistent basis as you saw this past year, um, especially at the end of the year, like I said, when guys were starting to catch on a little bit more. So um, I think this year is about building the foundation for that group, and it's really going to be based in the defensive line, like, which, like I said, they're trying to, you know, replenish a little bit with what they're going to lose there. But it's also going to really be based in that secondary where you'll see on the recruiting shows those guys are really trying to bring in some guys and, kind of DeAndre Payne his first year, Everett Edwards his first year here, uh, Kamari Khan Moy will be back again. So there's a lot of pieces that, um, you know, people can be encouraged by from that defensive group too. The highlight of the special teams unit was obviously Cole Metton. Uh, he had one of the best best years of a kicker in the entire nation. Thinking as an Iowa State fan, it's kind of unfortunate that of all the years that they needed a kicker that, they had a good one of, of these kind of down years that could have used them back in uh, 2005 and, and some other years with some some gimme field goals. But were there any other uh, nuggets that you wanted to add on special teams play, and and how how do they replace men's production? Is there anyone on the roster? Is it something that they're going to try and attack on the recruiting front to replace his production on special teams? Yeah, the, I think you you're exactly right. Cole Madden was just really a model of consistency in that. He was, I think, 22 for 23 or 23 for 24. The numbers, uh, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but he only missed one field goal this year, and that was from 50-plus yards at Texas. And, um, you know, it even dated back to making the last few of 2015. But he was just um, so consistent. And, uh, you know, you talk to people in Iowa State's history as kickers, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting one. But Colton Edden, I think, um, he obviously will go down as the all-time leading scorer and, uh, you know, rightfully so. He he just, you know, especially this year, whenever the team needed him to make a kick, he'd go out and, and make it. So really good year for Cole. And I think as far as replacing the kicker, they're, I think they're kind of expecting that guy, whoever it is, to be on the team right now. Um, Chris Francis handled kickoff duties this year, and I think he his name could be in the mix. They also have a kid named Eric Sylvester who – I think it's from the state of New York. He was just a re- he was just a true freshman this past year, redshirted. I think he's a guy that could come in and do it. Um, you know, there's I've heard Cole Colin Downing's name thrown out there, which is kind of interesting. Obviously, he's 
had kicking experience before, but not since high school. He's just been the punter while he's been at Iowa State. So I think there's a couple names that could surface for kicking, and, um, you know, all those guys will get a look and, and trying to replace um, what will go down as probably the best kicker Iowa State's ever had. But I think as far as other special teams areas, um, you look at the returners. Trevor Ryan had a good year, I think. Uh, uh, you know, it's kind of his story is kind of crazy how he started at UNI as a track and field athlete, came as a walk-on really kind of found his place and, and ended up getting a scholarship. And then Kanaina Wongu in the kick return game, you saw in that uh, loss to West Virginia, he had the only touchdown for Iowa State with that 97-yard kickoff return. So they're going to have good returners back. Iowa State will. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of bright spots there too. And you look at the numbers, and Iowa State really was a good special team squad, you know, in every phase all year. So I think there's a lot of reason there too to be encouraged. Now that the season's over, the, the focus turns back to the recruiting area, and it's kind of the area that got the fans so excited about Matt Campbell as he came in about this time last year and, and put together a pretty solid class considering the amount of time that he had and, and things like that. He's already put put together a solid class for, for 2017. How tough will it be for him to keep that class intact, and how many how many defections could we expect for kids choosing to go to other schools, and maybe can we expect any any flips from schools and they they decide that they're going to come to Ames now all of a sudden? Yeah, it's it's interesting as far as when you talk about recruiting. Um, you know, because Iowa State, we know, got a lot. They got tons of commitments early. They've had, I think, more than 15 commitments for the last you know few months. It seems like it's just been crazy how early they did this recruiting. Um, basically after they finished the 2016 class, they started right away on 2017 uh, trying to get some of these kids. But my point, I guess, within this is you, when you recruit that early and you get kids committed, you have to hold other schools off for a long time. And um, there will be some defection, some kids deciding to flip to another school, and um, that's just part of it, I guess. And I, you might still see some of that, uh, you know, in these last two months or whatever it is until signing day. But um, you know, they're, they're like, like you kind of said, they're, they're still trying to get kids too. And I think they're looking at different Juco guys as far as both of the lines, some grad transfers that could pop up into the mix, but, um, you know, it's kind of a two-sided thing, I guess you'll lose some guys, um, to other schools, but you're also trying to, you know, whether it's Juco or grad transfer, like I said, or, um, you know, just kind of peeking at whatever everybody else has, you are still trying to get kids too, but, um, you know, I think they're building a solid foundation of the class. And like I said, it's just a matter of trying to hold hold some of those key pieces like those guys that they have on the defensive line, um, you know, to really put a stamp on the class, I guess. Last question for you. Uh, let's say Paul Rhodes shows back up to the Jacobson building and uh, says that we can expect a, a bowl game again this offseason for, for next season like he did last year. Would that be a fair assessment going forward for next season? That's something that Iowa State fans uh, could maybe mark as a as a hope or or an expectation for the next football season. Yeah, I think it could definitely be a hope. I don't know if you could go with the expectation route yet, but like I said, the pieces are going to be there, the skill positions at least. You will have to replace four or five guys on the offensive line again, which is going to be another interesting task, but – I think Tom Manning has shown that he's he's been capable of trying to rebuild those offensive lines. And like I said, there's still maybe a couple pieces that come could come into the fold there. So I think 
you could definitely expect four or five wins. I think those are certainly reasonable expectations. It's just another, um, you know, step in the right direction. Um, I think people can hold hope for uh, a bowl game. You look at the non-conference schedule, it's UNI, which had a down year this year, should have beaten them this year. Iowa State should, but should have. But um, you have them, you make a road trip to Akron, kind of a weird road trip to Akron. You have Iowa at home, which it's it's hard to say what Iowa's going to be with how many pieces they're losing. And then, um, you know, go get a couple in the Big 12. Uh, Kansas is still probably going to be some Kansas and uh, Texas Tech is going to be a little bit down. Baylor's changing. So there's a lot of games out there that could get you to six. It's just a matter of not missing on some of those opportunities like they did that, this year and really kind of showing how they can take the next step and, and being a team that can go win the games they're supposed to and then maybe surprise a couple people and just kind of keep on that train to to growth, to be a consistent winner, I guess is maybe how I'd put it. Well, we we appreciate your time tonight, Dylan. Uh, can you let our listeners w- know where to catch you on Twitter and maybe to catch some of your work online? Yeah, um, my Twitter is at Dylan Montz, uh, D-Y-L-A-N-M-O-N-T-Z uh, is my Twitter. And then uh, my work at the Gazette is thegazette.com backslash sports. And I have my own um, blog tab. It's the Cyclone Country blog. Um, so if you want to check out my, any of my work, go there. Uh, I'll tweet out my stuff too. And if you have any questions, uh, you want to email me or anything, it's monstdillon at gmail.com. So uh, whatever way you want to reach me is great. And Austin, this has been really fun, and I've had a great time talking to you, man. Hey, I, I appreciate it as a – as a Cyclone fan that lives on the eastern eastern half of the state, I, I appreciate you covering Iowa State for the Gazette. Uh, I know we can get Hawkeye heavy over here, but there's still some some cardinal and gold on this side of the state, and I think it the numbers are rising rising in our favor. So I appreciate all the work that you do to uh, keep us informed over here on this side of the state, Dylan. Yeah, I appreciate it, and it's kind of interesting. I grew up on the east side of the state, so. Um, you know, seeing all the Hawkeye coverage and, you know, that was all it was growing up. But now um, the Gazette has made more of an, more of an effort and more of a priority to have Iowa State coverage. And I'm, you know, I'm thankful to, to be the guy, you know, helping out with that. And I appreciate you and everybody else who's out there reading, reading my content and, um, you know, supporting. So uh, thanks again for having me on. I, I really enjoyed it. Very good. Well, Maybe we'll have to have you on here in a, in a couple of weeks or a month or so and, and catch up on some Iowa State basketball going forward. But we appreciate your time, Dylan. Uh, listeners, you can you can catch Dylan, like he said, on Twitter, at Dylan Munt. Um, it's been a blast going through some Cyclone football. Uh, things will get better for, for the Cyclones going forward. Um, we, know, we know that with Matt Campbell and the staff. As always, thanks for listening tonight. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. If you're listening on the media player on the blog, go ahead and just leave us a review in the comments, too. We'll go ahead and try and read some of those on the air in a future podcast. Um, Look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Austin. Really appreciate it again.
Excuse me, kind human. Oh, hello. Did you know this Friday, June 22nd, is the beginning of Sprint Saturday, a weekend-long event with spectacular savings? I didn't know that. Are humans also unaware that Sprint offers 50% off the Samsung Galaxy S9 with Sprint Flex lease? I need to get to Sprint this weekend. Helping humans is my mission. Switching at 50% off a Galaxy S9 lease, only at the Sprint Saturday event starting this Friday, June 22nd through Sunday, June 24th. Visit Sprint.com slash GS9 or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Galaxy S9, 60-50 per month after 60-50 monthly credit. Apply within two bills for 18 months. If you cancel early, remain a balance due with approved credit. New line and $30 activation fee restrictions apply.